Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. gatherings, it's really important that we don't uh, compartmentalize everything uh, in, in what we do when we gather together, because there's always a thread and a flow of what God wants to do, what God wants to say, what God wants to reveal to us that starts right from the word go, right from the time we arrive. In fact, beforehand, if we're preparing ourselves before the gathering to be before the Lord and say, Lord, what is it you want to do among us this morning? Lord, have your way among us this morning as your church gathers together. Thank you for this time to be in your presence with your people. And then from that point, God has a plan and a purpose for our time together. Otherwise, well, what's the point? What's the point in gathering together if there's not something in this context that God wants to do that's specific and unique and purposeful and, and wonderful? And... Um, and what has come through in the worship, I believe, will come through in the word and what God wants to do in our time of response afterwards and our time with tea and coffee and into our afternoons and that Jesus is glorified in all of it. So um, this morning, we're going to look at the Psalms. If you could put that first, uh, the first lovely Psalms slide up, if you're able to do that, Neil. Is it on there? That's fine, I'll let you enjoy that. But if you, uh, has everybody got your little Psalms reading plan at the moment? We started this in September, and now we're up to Psalm 100 to 106 that we've been reading this week. So we're really now deep into this wonderful book. And um, as I say every time I get up to talk about the Psalms, I have loved our focus on the Psalms. And uh, I'd be interested to, to sort of opportunities in, when we meet together in life groups to say what's really impacted you in the Psalms as you've read through it what's really jumped off the page at you and, and there'll be different things at different times that will come through in the Psalms and there's so much in there there's there's the kind of the reality of the struggles of humanity Psalms can be very raw can't it very real about what it's like to be human and, and to to have human frailties and to handle those things in the context of other aspects of a challenging world, a place of opposition and a place of challenge, those things are clearly written down for us and recorded for us in the Psalms. We see the wonderful honesty of prayer that before God we can lay our hearts open and just be completely honest with him in our prayers. We see as well the power of praise and we've, we've talked before about how sometimes the psalmist begins in the doldrums struggling with the realities that he's facing around him and yet in that place lifts his eyes above the immediate and sees the God of the eternal. Lifts his eyes above some of the things that are going on in earth and sees the realities of heaven and he's transformed in that and he's transformed to praise God. It doesn't mean that we become detached from what's going on around us or unrealistic or in, in a position of denial, but there's a real truth that God wants us to take hold of and see heavenly realities of his awesomeness and his power and his greatness and his purpose for us. 
And one of the things that really comes out time and again is, of course, the greatness of God. Those different descriptions of how great and awesome God is. And um, one of the th- what I want to emphasize and look at this morning are the Messianic Psalms. I want us to consider together Jesus in the Psalms. Our focus is going to be on Jesus. So there you go, that's, that's proof that we've already planned that, to do that this morning. And this Neil's very good at quick design at the back there. And um, about, about a fifth of the Psalms have direct, direct Messianic references, direct prophetic uh, descriptions of Jesus' life, of his ministry, of his death, of his, of his awesomeness, of his resurrection, and of his power, at least a fifth. But then you can go beyond that and see Jesus in the Psalms all the time. In fact, who, Tony Ling was with us last week, who is always great to listen to Tony. I, I wish I could have the armchair up there, but I've not yet earned the stripes for that. But he, talked, he talks very often about, in the Word of God, this points us to the Word, to Jesus and that Jesus is on every page of our Bibles. And Jesus is referred to time and again in the Psalms. Um, there was a fad, probably about 15, 10, 15 years ago now, called the Magic Eye. Does anybody remember the Magic Eye fad? Just give me a wave if you... Did you if anybody owned a Magic Eye book, can you raise your hand? There's no condemnation. It's fine. It weren't really magic. It's all right. And even if it was, we're Okay. But there was magic eyes, and they were posters, and they were books, and you opened the page, and there were patterns and and images that kind of looked all, didn't look like anything really, just random patterns, but there was a way that you engaged with the picture, and you had to sort of focus on the center, and then just glaze. There was an art to it. The men found that bit really easy, the glazing bit. (laughs) You focus and glaze. And as you do, an image appeared, like a 3D image from within the picture that was always there, but you'd never seen it before. And you know, as we look into the Word of God, as we really, not glaze, but gaze into the Word of God, there's a picture, there's someone in there that God wants us to see. Will you put the next image up, please? It's not the clearest of images, but that's a picture of of a heart. But if you look more closely, you can see in that image a man. You see his, his legs at the bottom and his thigh sort of in the thinker pose, doing his best Olympus, Olympus kind of pose. There's a picture of a man at the heart of that image. And you know, in our Bibles, in the Word of God, it's all about one person, Jesus Christ. You know, when the artist drew that heart... He didn't draw a heart and then, and then all of a sudden realize there was a man there. Like, oh, look at that, I've drawn a man. What were the chances? No, the man was always at the heart of it and he drew around it to create a picture that would present him in a different way, in a way that we, where we could, he could be discovered. And in the word of God, at the heart of this word, Jesus is there. I can still see people now with person next to them saying, I can't see the man. That was always going to be the problem with this. It could be a bit distracting because nobody's listening now. They're kind of like doing this focus and glaze, focus and glaze. I'll leave that up there for now. But in the meantime, please turn to Luke 24 before we jump back into the Psalms. At the heart of the Psalms is a man, the son of man. And God wants us to see him afresh this morning. God wants us to appreciate afresh Jesus. This is all about him. The word points to him. 
we have this wonderful story that I love. I read it again. It's just funny. There's some funny stuff in this story, okay? Because this, this bearing in mind what's happened, these are, are, are significant days for the disciples, dark days in, 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 in all honesty, because their Savior, the one that they've been following for three years, has been crucified on a cross and buried in a tomb, and their dreams are shattered. And then finally, word starts to get out three days later that some women had met an angel at the tomb who said that Jesus wasn't there and his body was missing. And then not only that, but Peter and John have also reported that, that Jesus isn't there and that Jesus is alive. And, and this news is beginning to just trickle out to the other disciples, the other followers of Jesus. And we pick up the story in, in Luke 24, verse 13. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So if you don't have that version, um, by all means, try and follow it in your word or maybe just listen to the story. But, but I want this to sort of really uh, frame what, I want, what I'd like us to look at together today. It says, that same day, this is on day, the, the day that uh, things have begun to report about Jesus being risen from the dead. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early that, that this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they have seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There, they found 11 disciples, the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they'd recognized him as he was breaking the bread. 
And just as they were telling them about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened? He asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said, Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Then Jesus led them to Bethany and lifted his hands to heaven. He blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshipped him. And they returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. I love that story. It's a really interesting story. And... Um, it's, it's packed with humor. You know, the irony of the fact that these two men are trying to explain to this one person what's been going on in Jerusalem over the last three days, and he was at the center of all of it. They got no idea what Jesus had been through, that Jesus had been on the cross, that he'd been buried, that he died, that he'd gone into hell itself and raided it and taken the keys of death and, and come out in glory and victory and triumph and risen again. The one that they're saying, don't you know what's going on? He knew exactly what was going on. And then finally, when he does reveal to them who he is, they see him, he disappears. And then they quickly, within an hour, are heading back to Jerusalem. And, and I love what happens with these disciples as they begin to see Jesus. As they begin to see him, they begin to change Something changes within them. And at times, they're not even aware it's happening until they reflect on it. But it says, once, once Jesus has disappeared from their vision and they've realized who he was with them all the time, they remembered and they said, didn't our hearts burn within us as he began to open the scriptures to us? And my prayer this morning is as we see Jesus, that our hearts will burn afresh. That our hearts for him will burn as we see him in the word described for us. And as they're with Jesus, even though they don't yet know him and know that it's him, they just want to be with him. Come and stay with us. Come and eat with us. Don't. And Jesus is doing this kind of, I'm off, you know, as if he's going to go on. And they literally, they beg him to come and stay. And as we spend time with Jesus and we see him, we just want to be with him more and more. Say, Lord, I just, Jesus, I want to be in your presence. I want to see you. I want, to, I want you to be part of everything that I do. I want you to be in my home. I want you to be at, at the meal table with me. I want you to be involved in every aspect of my life. And he opens their eyes. And he disappears. And if you've noticed, the walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus is seven miles. That's what it says in verse 19. It's a seven-mile walk. 
from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They had walked seven miles, probably most of it with Jesus, because he'd gone through the whole of the Bible <laughs> and told them about himself. Okay? Don't worry, we're not going to do that this morning. You're okay. They get there. It's evening. It's getting late, they say. They eat together, and then Jesus reveals himself to them, and they're so enthused and so full of energy that within the hour, they're making a seven-mile journey back to Jerusalem. You know, when we see Jesus, something happens within us. We're energized. We're refreshed. And their desire is, I want to be with the other disciples. We want to be together. We want to be with these, these other disciples who've seen Jesus and who know Jesus. You know, as we see Jesus, there's a desire not only that we see him and we want him to be with us, but we want to be with others who know him as well. Even if it means a seven-mile walk in the dark back to Jerusalem, it didn't matter. I want to be with the, with the people of God. I want to get to life group. <laughs> I want to be with his life in this group. And then this wonderful picture of them all being together and talking about Jesus. And then he turns up and they're still not quite sure what's going on. But he, he gets time to eat again and he asks for some grilled fish and they're all sort of staring at him like that as he's eating the fish. He's eating it. I think And then finally he opens their mind to the scriptures. Lord, our prayer again, open our minds, open our eyes to the word this morning. And in that context of seeing him and of recognizing it's him, what does he do with them? He commissions them. He sends them out. He says, you'll receive the Holy Spirit and you're going to go out and you're going to preach the gospel, starting here to the ends of the earth. When we see Jesus, everything changes. We're changed as we see him. That's what the prophetic word was this morning, that as we see him, we don't look at ourselves, we look at him. And when we see him, we're changed, we're energized, we're transformed. We just want to be with him. We want to be in his presence. He baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. He fills us with himself and with his life and with his power. And we are transformed as a result and change the world around us. If you go back to that first bit, you know, one of the things that they start to do when they talk about Jesus, and this is key for us today. Verse 19, it was in verse 13, it says it was a seven-mile walk, sorry, not verse 19. But in verse 19, it says this. They begin to talk about Jesus in this way. They say, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles and was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. They're describing the Jesus that many people recognize Jesus as who don't recognize Jesus as God's son. What I mean by that is Jesus was a man from Nazareth. I'm okay with that. He's a historical figure. He was a man. Other people will recognize he was a prophet. Others will say he did good things and he performed miracles. Others will say, well, he was a great teacher. All of those things are true. But if we don't recognize the ultimate thing, that he's the son of God, that he is God, yeah. then we are missing something. Yeah. And that is going to be a battleground for us, the deity of Christ. Yeah. And we need to know that he's God, that Jesus is God. He's the son of God. And he reveals this to them. Jesus asked the disciples in Matthew 16, who do people say that I am? But more importantly, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Lord, the Messiah, the Christ. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon. Because you've not understood this because of your own thinking, your own mind. It's been revealed to you from heaven. If you turn to Colossians 1, we will get to the Psalms in a minute, I promise. Colossians 1. Our view of Jesus, our understanding, our insight of him is vital. 
And Colossians 1 verse 15. Colossians 1 verse 15. says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is the first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. I want to say this morning, there are four questions that everybody wants the answer to if they really think about it. If you could put the next slide up, please. Where, why, how, what? All of these things shape the meaning of, of, of our world, of our lives, of, of everything. Where? Where am I from? Where, where, where are our origins? And science is working very hard to work that out. There are plenty of Bibles, just have a look. But the, the, that's what they want. Where are we from? Where do we come from? The next question, why? Why are we here? Where are we from? Why are we here? Our purpose, why? What's the purpose? What's the meaning of life? That's what the Alpha Course is kind of based on. And then the next one is, how? How should I live? How do I conduct myself? How do I determine what's good or what's bad? How do I determine what society says is good or bad? Or, or how do we measure these things? How do I conduct my life in the, in, in, the, in the world and the life that I live? And lastly, what's next? Where are we going? Where am I from? Why am I here? How do I live and what's ahead? I want to say the answer to all of those things are found in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And the Psalms outlines that for us wonderfully. If you turn to Psalm 45, please. In fact, it might be easier to make references of, this, of the, 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 the Psalms rather than turn to them all because I'm going to read a number of references. You may not have time to turn to them all, but if you scribble them down. So the first one is Psalm 45. And by the way, Psalm 45 is this incredible messianic psalm in and of its own right, written by the sons of Korah. But verses 6 and 7 declare this. Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with the scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. Who's the psalmist writing about? Jesus. That's going to be a pretty straightforward answer, actually. I'm not even going to do A, B, and C for that, or A, B, or C. It's Jesus. And we'll, we'll, we'll come back to some New Testament references in a minute. Psalm 102, verse 25 and, and 27. This is an anonymous psalm, but all it says is, written by somebody who's troubled and is pouring out their problems before the Lord. Okay? That's the beginning, but this is where they get to. In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you remain forever. You are always the same. You will live forever. Yeah. Psalm, 25, Psalm, 20, uh, Psalm 102, 25 and 27. And then the other Psalm, Psalm 2, verses 6 to 8. Again, another anonymous Psalm. 
says, For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, my holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Or other versions say, Today I have begotten you. Or today I reveal you as my son. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. The whole world. The whole earth as your possession. Hold those three things in there, in your mind. Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. In the, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. And the Lord declares, I've placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem. And turn to Hebrews 1. I would like you to turn to this, this verse, please, if you can. Hebrews 1. Jesus is God. Jesus is the eternal God. Jesus is Lord of all. The position is taken of King of kings and Lord of lords. So don't let us ever try and put anything else in that position. He's taken that position. Never let your own life, yourself, be put there. Never let your family even be put there. Don't let your work be put there. Don't let anything else replace the fact this position is filled. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. Long ago, many, many times God spoke in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets, Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he cleanses from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus. You are my son. Today I have become your father, Psalm 2. And God said, I will be his father and he will be my son. And when he brought his supreme son into the world, God said, let all of God's angels worship him. Regarding the angels, he says, he sends angels like the winds. He sends like, uh, servants like flames of fire. But to the son, he says, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the joy, joy, oil of joy on you more than anyone else. He also says to the Son, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you will remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will fold them up like a cloak and discard them like old clothing. But you are always the same. You will live forever. This is God the Father speaking to the Son. And God is speaking and saying, God. Jesus is the eternal one. He's the one through which everything was made. Who do we say that he is? You know, the writer to the Hebrews comes back to the, the second generation Christian Jews and he's saying, don't go back to the law. Don't go back to relying on angels and prophets as being supreme. Jesus Christ is supreme. He's the eternal one. This is where your origin lies. There's a TV show on, on the BBC called Who Do You Think You Are? And it's about taking celebrities and tracing their family trees back to where they originated, many generations, to kind of describe where they've come from. Well, I want to say this this morning. It doesn't matter where your family tree leads you. Your origin is in Christ Jesus. Anna talked before, uh, when he said, when you come to Christ, Christ is before you and Christ is behind you. And he said, imagine you've got a zipper attached 
to your back. And wherever you walk, everything is sealed behind you. And all that's behind you, no matter what was there before, is Christ. And all that's in front of you is Christ. He's the beginning and the end. He's where our origin lies. He's where we find our identity. He's where we find our root of who we are. He's where we find our identity in one another as well, how we relate to one another, because we're all sons of God. He's where we're from. And he's also why we're here. If you turn to Psalm uh, 22, you know, the, many of the Psalms, so the, the, these first Psalms describe Jesus being the eternal God and the creator and that he is God. And uh, that kind of aspect of our, of our roots and where we're from and our origins. But when we read these other verses in, in Psalms that we're going to look at now, these describe what happened to him in his life, from his birth right the way through and up to, uh, up to the cross. And there are two things that I want us to understand about the, the why, that we're, why we're here. We're here for relationship with God and we're here to extend the kingdom. That's why we're here. We're here because of covenant and kingdom, relationship and purpose. Covenant, relationship, kingdom, purpose. That's why we're here. And we see this described for us so wonderfully in Psalm 22 and Psalm 89. Psalm 22, verses 9 to 10. Jesus is talking to the Father and he's saying, this is the covenant that I've come into. This is the trust that I have. This is the relationship that I have, trusting God from the womb, if you like. Psalm 22, verses 9 to 10, a psalm of David. He said, yet you brought me safely out of my mother's womb and led me to trust you at my mother's breast. I was thrust into your arms at my birth. You have been my God from the moment I was born. It's a description of Jesus' trust and relationship with the Father, that covenantal relationship right from the beginning. And in the same light, describing this covenant that God had made with David, he made a covenant with him that he would be what? A king. He made a covenant that he would have a throne that would go all the way through generation to generation that would have a king that would reign eternally to talking about Jesus. And Psalm 89.4 says, I will establish your descendants as kings forever. They will sit on your throne from now to eternity. This picture, this description of Jesus trusting his father from birth, but coming knowing that he was a king who was going to rule forever. Covenant, relationship, kingdom, purpose. That's why we're here, to know him and to serve him. Luke 1, 31 to 32, the promise comes from the angel to Mary. He says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you'll name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. You know, when we understand where we're from, and we understand where we're going, it, and we, we live in the reality of that day by day, it changes everything. God wants us to live purposefully and intentionally. There are some things that happened in Jesus' life that were outside of his control, things that happened to him. In Psalm 8-2, it says, you've taught children and infants to tell of your strength or give you praise. And there's a story that's described for us in Matthew 21, where Jesus had cleared the temple, and then the sick came to him, and he healed them, and the leaders of the religious law are very unhappy with Jesus, but children are worshiping Jesus. They're seeing something of the glory of God, and Jesus refers them back to this psalm, Psalm 
8 verse 2, that children will, from their lips I will have ordained praise. You know what, when we live out in, within the purposes of God in a, in a place of covenant, there are things in the promises of God that are outside of our control, but they will happen because we're living in line with what God says. So Jesus lived as a covenant son, extending the kingdom. He cleared the temple, and from that, a promise in the word was fulfilled to him. Children began to sing praise to him. Jesus wasn't there getting the children's choir together and then teaching them a song. Something happened in them as he pursued the purposes of God in his life. And we mustn't try and manufacture everything just to live in covenant and live extending the kingdom and trust that sometimes some of the things that are in the word will just happen as a result of that. This is what happened in Jesus' life. But there are other things where Jesus purposefully lives in a way that confirmed the word. Some things that were within his control. So Psalm 78 says this, Open your ears to what I'm saying. Psalm 78, verses 1 and 2. Open your ears to what I'm saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. Jesus was constantly speaking in parables. And I believe he did it to fulfill what the word said about him. Sometimes the way that we talk, the way that we act, the way that we behave is shaped by what we know the word says about us. And part of Jesus' ministry was to fulfill that so that in Matthew 13, 35, it says, this was fulfilled so that God, what God had spoken through the prophet. Well, who was the prophet? It was Asaph, the psalmist in Psalm 78. Some things that were to do, that to live in, the line, in, in line with, specifically with what the word says. And then in Psalm 69, verse 9, Jesus, Jesus clears the temple and he clears everything away. And as he does it, the disciples See what Jesus has done. And it's quoted that the zeal for the Lord's house will consume you. Psalm 69 verse 9. As Jesus does what's in his heart as he's serving God, the disciples see the fulfillment of the word happening in Jesus' life there. And then they suddenly realize, this is what it said in Psalm 69. As we live in covenant and purpose, there are some things outside of our control that God will fulfill his promises. There are some things that God wants us to do that we, as we apply ourselves to it, we will fulfill the promises of God. And as we do so, others will see the promises of God fulfilled in our lives and it will stir them. Covenant and kingdom working hand in hand. And then he talks about all of these things and you think, well, surely as a result of living in relationship with God and fulfilling his purposes, surely then Jesus is gonna have it easy. Surely God's going to make everything fit together perfectly for him. But we know that's not the case. Many Psalms describe the fact that Jesus was hated without cause. Psalm 69.4 says, Those who hate me without cause outnumber the hairs on my head. My enemies try to destroy me with lies. In Psalm 41 verse 9 it says, Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food has turned against me. He was betrayed. And in his... Um, in his trial, it's, there were false witnesses. Psalm 35, verse 11, malicious witnesses testify against me. They accuse me of crimes I know nothing about. You know, as Jesus has said very clearly, that if we're his disciples, we will face opposition. That if we follow him, people will hate us for it because they hated him. But if we understand the word and we understand who Jesus is and we see how he lived, then we won't be derailed by those things. If you've ever faced persecution for what you believe, just raise your hand for a moment. At times where you know you've had direct opposition because of what you believe. You know, it's, it's interesting in the church in Acts, they celebrated those times. They weren't masochistic. 
They just understood we must be serving the purposes of God because that's exactly what, our, that's exactly what Jesus faced. Opposition, trial, times where we're betrayed by others, but we're not derailed by it because we see what happened to Jesus and we know this is why I'm here. Lord, I'm here to live in relationship with you and I'm here to fulfill your purposes. Turn to the person next to you and say, good morning. You're here to fulfill God's purposes. He's our where we're from. He's our why we're here. And he's our how to do it. The, 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 the morality of the world is constantly going down the pan. We know that. But that's because when you take God out of the equation, then what is good and what is evil? It's all subjective. There's no absolutes, so there are no absolute morals, but we know that that's different. And for us, God wants us to live the way that Jesus lived. He is our how-to. He's our where, our why, and our how. And there's just two things I want to say about how Jesus conducted himself, that he wants us to, to live our lives in the same way. Loving and obedient. Loving and obedient. Jesus did everything in line with the Father's will. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. And everything that he did, he did trusting his Father. He was obedient, he was loving. Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, you'll obey me. But I want to say this, when we love God, it means that we trust him. And when we trust him, then why wouldn't we obey him? And our love for him, his love for his father was perfect and therefore he trusted him even to death on the cross. In, in, in Luke 9, 51, it says Jesus set his face, some versions say like flint, to Jerusalem. He knew where he was going. The cross was not a surprise to Jesus. He had read the Psalms. He knew the Psalms. He knew his bones were not going to be broken. But he knew he was going to be hung on a cross. He knew that he was going to be offered soured wine. He knew that he was going to be mocked by passers-by. He knew that his hands and his feet were going to be pierced. He knew that he was going to be beaten. He knew all of these things lay ahead for him. And he said, I'm going to Jerusalem where that's going to take place. He could only do that because he had a perfect love and obedience to his father. He shows us the how-to. Psalm 22, verse 16. Psalm 22 is packed with um, messianic prophecies about the cross. But he says... They've pierced my hands and my feet. Psalm 2 verse 6, um, sorry, Psalm 84 verse 3 and 4 says, I've set my, my covenant with David the king forever and above his, his, his head was the king of the Jews. Psalm 22, 7 to 8 says, Everyone who sees me mocks me and sneer as they shake their heads. Psalm 22 verse 18, They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. All of these are fulfilled for us in, in, in the Gospels. They offer me sour wine for my thirst. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth, Psalm 69. And, my bo and, and his bones won't be broken, Psalm 34, 20. And even his cry, Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He knew what he was going to face. And even in this cry, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? In Psalm 31, verse 5, it says this. I entrust my spirit into your hand. Rescue me, Lord. For you are a faithful God. Even in the darkest, deepest times, when the demonic realm 
had surrounded him. It was dark at midday, from midday to three o'clock, darkness covered the earth. Why? Because all of hell, all of the demonic forces of hell were ganging up against Jesus. They were coming to oppress him, to kill him, thinking they were going to crush him and destroy him. And in that context, he cries, God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? But then he says this, I entrust my spirit into your hand that even at the place of greatest darkness and pain and suffering, he could say, Lord, I know you'll rescue me, for you are a faithful God. Love and obedience. And that on the cross, Psalm 109, verse 4, I love them, but they tried to destroy me with accusations, even as I'm praying for them. As he hung on the cross between two sneering criminals and men and women that passed by that sneered at him and spat at him, he prayed for them. Forgive them. How could he do that? Perfect love. That's the how-to for us. Obedience and love. That we can know our God, that we can know our Father because of Jesus Christ, that we can put our complete trust in him, that we can love him, and as a result, we can trust him even at darkest times. And even when other people are against us, we can just express our prayers of love to them. That's the how-to. That's how we'll be different from everybody else in the, whole world, in the rest of the world. He's where we're from. He's why we're here. He's our how-to. And he's our what's next. Our future and our destiny is in him. Psalm 16 verse 10 says this, You will not leave my soul among the dead or allow the Holy One to rot in the grave. And in Acts 2 and Acts 13, both Peter in Acts 2 and Paul referred directly to that being Jesus. They said, it can't be David. David wrote that psalm, but he's still in the grave. David was, was prophetically talking about Jesus Christ, who rose again. You know what that means? That death is not the end for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We all have a hope in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Hallelujah. We don't need to fear death. We don't need to be afraid that those who serve him and know him, when they've gone, that we won't see them again. We will see them in glory because of Jesus Christ. He's our where next. He's our what's next. Psalm 68, 18 says, When you ascended to the heights, you led a crowd of captives. You received gifts from the people. And the psalmist is writing about David having a great victory. And as he goes in triumph, he's taking the gifts, he's taking the spoils of war with him back to Israel, back to Jerusalem, back to the people of God. What I want to say this, whatever was lost in the fall, whatever sin and death tried to rob from us, Jesus Christ has brought it back again. It's all been given back to him. He raided hell and he took the keys and he took the gifts that had been hidden and held back. And now he's ascended and he's giving the gifts to the, to the church to fulfill his mission. And Ephesians 4 talks about those gifts, the gifts of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to bring the church to what? The maturity, the full stature of Christ Jesus. He's building his church because he reigns. He's taken the power from spiritual rulers and authorities and he's giving it back to the church so that we can rule with him. Psalm 2 verse 8 says, Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. Well, here's the good news. Jesus asked. <laughs> so the psalmist says, Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. Guess what? Jesus asked. 
17, John 17 in his prayer, he says, Lord, give to me all that you promised and let me come into glory so that you will be glorified. He's asked. That's why he could say in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go into all the world. He is in the place of honor and rule. Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and I will make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He's our ultimate authority. The singers and musicians could come back for a moment, please. There's a song that I'd like us to sing together. Conscious of a lot of references and a lot of scriptures. It's very much a whistle-stop tour of some of these psalms. But Psalm 24, if you turn to that, please. Talked a while ago when we were introducing Psalms about how Psalm 22, 23, and 24 are, if you like, a trio of Psalms. Wonderful prophetic declaration. And Psalm 22 clearly starts at the cross. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Psalm 22, verse 1. Psalm 23 talks about the the son's declaration of of the the care that he received as he walks through the valley of the shadow of death. But then in that place, there's provision for him. And Psalm 24 talks about his glorious ascension and his rule and his authority. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Open up, you ancient gates. Open up, you ancient doors, and let the king of glory enter. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, invincible in battle. Open up, ancient gates. Open up, ancient doors, and let the king of glory enter. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of heaven's armies. He is the king of glory. He's our future. You know what? He's coming in glory. He's coming in triumph. Jesus is coming back in glory and triumph. We need to live our lives with a fresh sense of the return of Jesus Christ. To know that as we live our lives today, it influences his return tomorrow. Or maybe later today. But that we can actually prepare and ready ourselves and the state of the world around us for his return. And that we live in glorious triumph. Not that death is the the end, but Jesus is returning in glory. And he's going to establish his rule throughout the universe once and for all for eternity. That's our hope. That's our future. That's where our future lies. That's where your future lies. In his hands. He's our what's next. He's coming back in glory. And we, this morning, can give him glory together. Can we just stand together for a moment, please? There's just a song I'd like us to sing in response to close our time. Just got a few announcements to share at the very end. say again this morning Deborah shared last week about a label to me putting a label on someone and and that they weren't happy with that label but I want to remind us all again that when we give our lives to Jesus our lives are found in him he's where we're from our hope is in him and he's in you this morning he's with you this morning and you're in him this morning And Holy Spirit, I ask that for us, as we worship now, that you give us a fresh revelation of what it means to be in Christ and for Christ to be in us. What a wonderful truth that is. 
Lord Jesus, I thank you that you've come to show us why we're here. To know our Heavenly Father and to live in perfect, close relationship with Him. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd reveal again our sonship as children of God. That we can say, Abba, Father. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our lives. And remind us again, I pray, of our purpose in seeing your kingdom extended. Let there be a fresh understanding of our purpose as well as our identity this morning, Lord, I pray. Lord, I thank you that you're our how-to. Lord, as we worship, Lord, if there are things in our lives where we've not been living the way that you've shown us, Lord Jesus, I pray that this morning will be an opportunity for us to lay some things down, to turn away from some attitudes, to turn away from some habits, some things that we've been doing so that we live entirely in line with the will of God, loving you and trusting you and serving you fully and wholeheartedly, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we'll see your rule and your authority and your power and your majesty afresh. And that, Lord, that your rule would be seen in our lives. And that, Lord, that you'd give us fresh hope for the future. But, Lord, that we'll pull that hope into today. That we'll be able to see the power of your authority now in our lives as we worship you, Jesus, and focus on you right now. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church, and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We meet every Sunday at 10.30am in Stony Stanton and 4pm in Tamworth and Market Harbour. Feel free to come and visit us. We'd love to meet you. Thank you.